Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hey, Christina. It's great to be here. So why don't we start our conversation by talking about you, about your background and how you ended up deciding that the consulting work and leadership work that you are doing today is what your life's work is. Well, it's a long and winding road. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's, it's, it's starting to become more typical. So it's actually not quite so unusual as it may have been, you know, when we start, first started our careers. But I actually have a PhD in geography. And I was a part of a mission, a NASA USGS mission called Landsat for the first 20 years of my career. The first decade, I was a scientist and actually interpreted data to evaluate um, how humans were affecting the environment or um, how even agricultural trends in different countries might affect the markets. Or in legal sense, we could evaluate the evapotranspiration. This gets a little nerdy, but... That's um, super cool. Yeah, it is. And, and in the West, in the Western US, water rights are big deal. And we could actually evaluate how much water was being evapotranspired off of fields and, in, and back into how much water they were using and if they were exceeding their legal allotment. And so we had a lot of interesting things that actually fed into some, at the, in the locations, pretty kind of big deal um, legal battles. And so I did that for the first 10 years. And, you know, it was odd. I was, we'll get into more about work environments and how people work. But at the time, I really felt a little mismatched in the research world because I just felt like it was kind of the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, slightly different, but the same team, the same challenge, looking at the same information. And I didn't really feel, uh, I just felt like it wasn't, I felt bored, frankly. And I thought there was something wrong with me because I was looking around and I was working with an incredible team, really dedicated and passionate researchers. And I just thought, clearly it's, I'm, I'm the problem. And after about a decade of that, after I got my PhD and I kept working through the research area, one of the things I really realized was that I love working in a team where we're all sort of doing different things and we're all parts of the machine of getting work done and without each other, we would fail. Right. And so I was offered a job to be the operational science officer of the actual mission. So before I was working on the science side and then I was offered a operational science job. And what, what that looked like was I actually got to work with the engineering teams and sort of be the ombudsman for science embedded in the engineering. So they wouldn't accidentally mess stuff up. Um, bless her heart. Mm -hmm. And so I was this great translator between the science and the engineering and the other and the customers. I became sort of the lead of the customer teams and the interface with the outside scientists and Google and other NASA programs and Esri, which is a large mapping agency. And so that's kind of what I did. And I loved that because it was something different every day. It was all kinds of interesting challenges and um, super intellectually nerdy stuff. But the hardest thing about that, I was one of a three or four member leadership team, depending on the timing. And I had to learn how to support my people and not because I didn't know how they did their work. 
mm-hmm. nor did I want to. <laughs> but they, we had engineers that looked at the radio frequency of communication to the spacecraft, all the way down to security um, and dissemination of process data. So we had this huge 175 or so scientists or engineers, and I had no idea how to do any of that. And so I really got nerdy about how to lead and how to lead people that I don't know their job and how to, cause then I couldn't make technical recommendations or anything like that. I had to just kind of support, you know, support role. And while still having a lot of um, responsibility toward the quality and, and the outcome. So that's kind of how, and we had to go through a really big change. We had to go from a $5 million sales model to none and that was due to some political forces at work. And, and so we had to give up $5 million of income. And wow. that's, that's people. Yeah. You can't, can't downsize and not affect people. So here I had this technical team who had to completely change how they did business while they knew that at the end, if they were successful or when they were successful, they would have to lose people. And so what's the incentive to work hard if right. that you don't have a job? So was a really insightful time for me. And I really saw develop a really high performing team because they took on this challenge and did this incredible work, but it did, it was a process. It did take time. It did take a lot of support and a lot of faith and a lot of, um, you know, like back room conversations about, Oh my gosh, what does this mean? And it was incredibly powerful experience because I saw people in a crucible of change actually come out in a better and more exciting way. And so, you know, I, it really changed how I saw leadership and changed leadership and transformation of teams. And, and now that team, when I, when I left about five and a half years ago now, um, the harder the problem was you threw at them, the more they stepped up. And that was just a really exciting transformation to get to be a part of. So that's, that's remarkable. Yeah, that's what got me really interested in doing this kind of work. It must have been hard to leave that team because you had such a history with them and you watched transformation. You watched them being able to weather some significant inflection points. And um, I would imagine it must have been really tough to leave them. Well, yes and no. You know, the in February of 2013, which is shockingly about six years ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, that just is so crazy. But I got to be at um, the launch of Landsat 8, and I was on the, which is out of Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. And I got to be on the 15th floor of the mission launch tower, like two days before the rocket launched. And I thought, you know, that might be the coolest thing I ever do, even in that job anyway. And, and I had been there about a decade and I had, we had gone through this big transformation together. And, and I could see that when this rocket launched and put Landsat 8 into orbit, it would mean that we had to reorganize the teams because here you have the Landsat 8 development team who had loved and cared for the Landsat 8 rocket or the, you know, the spacecraft. And then there's the Landsat 1 through 7 team, which was my team, which was the operational side. And we were going to have to merge those teams. And I just, uh, at the time, was not living where all those people lived. And I just knew navigating that um, reorganization would be really hard. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, it just felt kind of like the right time, actually. I do still miss them. I still call Landsat my and our, and I'm very proud of what they are continuing to do. And I know how hard it is to do what they do. And I just really love the fact that they're still fighting the good fight. It was a, it's a 45 year old mission is the first and oldest civilian spacecraft program in the world. And it's just really awesome that they're still fighting the good fight. And that, that part I love, I do miss, I do miss that part of it. it it's a global mission with 40,000 plus user community and, so I do miss that sort of scale, I have to admit. That sounds amazing. And you took the lessons you learned and you entered into the next phase of your career. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, what I started doing was I started consulting in kind of the realm of the satellite world and working with engineers and customers and that kind of stuff. And what I discovered was after I left, even if I stayed for quite a while and developed work in conjunction with the people that were going to execute, but then I would leave as the consultants, I would leave them and I would touch base with them later and they'd say, Oh, well, we had a reorganization two weeks after you left. And so we never really did the things. And, and that really made me sad. Mm-hmm. And why, what about what I was providing? Wasn't how did, how could I affect change more efficiently? And so over time, I actually, pivoted into less about sort of traditional consulting, sort of subject matter expert on the technical side and kind of moved into the leadership and and change world. And I really love that. And I really got, it really kind of took off for us when I partnered up with Meg Mankey. She is my COO now. She's incredible. And she was the vice president of HR of a big gold mine. And so she was working with blue collar, shift working kind of people, kind of staff. And I had come from the high tech, high science world. And here we came together and we were trying, we, we found out that we were having the same problems with people and humans getting along and, and leadership in the exact same problems, but in these completely different worlds. And, and that's when it really got exciting when we started creating these solutions that would apply in in both kinds of places. And that really is, and so we've been doing that work uh, for about the past four years or so. And it's just been a thrill to work with CEOs, work with executives, work with teams, and have, um, have a framework that just resonates so deeply and can solve so many challenges for organizations and teams. It's been really fun. So why don't we dive in and hear a little bit more about the framework that you use? I mean, I think that it's a very timely discussion. What we see in the world is it's all about constant change and disruption, and we wouldn't have the competitive landscapes that we do across various businesses and service providers and professional service organizations if we didn't see the acceleration of change and disruption. And I think out of those sorts of things come some really positive things like innovation, streamlining efficiencies, new inventions. And obviously there are downsides to those sorts of things as well. And I'm sure that you and your business partner have seen a lot of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your framework and how you 
um, define what these sorts of things are and how you work with companies and individuals through these sorts of things? I would love to. We have, um, we, so we have a program, we are, we have a book and it's called IX Leadership and it stands for internal experience is what IX stands for. So IX Leadership create high five cultures and guide transformation. And the sort of the premise of the book and, and all the work we do, really, we, we've been doing the work for a long time. And we finally packaged it in a book, which is fantastic. It's such a great tool for us to have um, when we work with teams and leaders. But the framework is, the premise of the book is really that the, the culture and the results that you're getting your organization is exactly designed to get those results. And so if you would like a different result, then we have to change the way we do things. We have to change the way we think about teams. And, and the other premise is that there's two main um, aspects of business today that we feel like are the most critical. And you touched on, on the one for sure, which is change is constant. It's if you want to stay relevant and stay successful and keep growing, you have to constantly be looking at disruption and change in, in your market. And then the other one for us is that without your people, you are nothing. And so we, we do work with a lot of, well, if you think of the, the legal profession, you guys are all partners in a firm. And, and so you have your own client lists and, but without the context, of course, of everyone support staff within your organization, it would be very, very hard to do what you do. And that's frankly true for uh, very almost everybody. And so we really think that if we look internally to our organization and make your internal experience of all your staff, all your leaders, all your management, if we make that exceptional, then a lot of other sort of typical challenges uh, can be overcome much easier. So such as, you know, productivity, performance, uh, time management, um, adaptability to change, resilience, all those sorts of challenges that, that we see. And so our, our framework has, has, a few, has a few steps to it. And the first one is know who your people are. And in that, and in that sense, we, we have a new typing system assessment that we call a culture type assessment. And I'll talk just a, a little bit about that in a second. And then we want to figure out how those, once you figure out who your team is with our culture type assessment, then we can really help leaders and organizations change, understand how to guide their teams through change, how to motivate them, who's going to be on your team that's going to help you get through a change, who's going to be the ones that take longer and how to get them to move faster. So understand how those people move through change. And then also there has to be some sort of leadership context around, around those ideas, because if you aren't transparent or you don't share a value system, then all of that's much harder to do. So there's a, a couple steps to it. Um, but we definitely start with a culture type assessment. And that's been just um, really a fun tool, whether it's just knowing what your type is or whether it's taking those types and going into a big implementation or a big rollout or a big innovation phase. Um, it's just really informative, both for individuals and the team environment. And that's really what we're about because there's a lot of assessments, as you know, like Myers-Briggs. Right. 
all, I mean, strength finders and all, I mean, just the list goes on and on. And, but what we find that all of those are really focused on individual development. Um, how do I develop as a leader? What are my challenges? What are my strengths? And what we're trying to do is figure out, Christina, what's your whole team look like? And how do you build your team and understand where the conflicts are going to come and you can proactively address some of that. And so we're really, we really focused on creating an assessment that focuses on the team environment and the work environment that you have in the office. So that's the real difference with our assessment. Well, and Rachel, as you know, I took your assessment a number of weeks ago, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to love hearing us talk about the results of my assessment in a little while, but I would love to hear from you, and I'm sure listeners would too, just sort of starting with the culture types. Do you want to walk our listeners through high level what the different culture types are and how they interface with each other? Yeah, it's really fun. If you imagine two axes, uh, one is, we have two measurements. We have one of team to self. So are you team driven or are you self driven? And the other axes is chaos. And we don't mean drama chaos. We mean chaos in the work environment. Like you have something different going on every day. You might see a client you see today that you haven't seen in a year and things like that. So it's a sort of a chaotic work environment. And then all the way, the other extreme is a very orderly work environment. And so we just have four types that live in those four quadrants. And I am a fixer, which means that I like chaos in my day-to-day work life, but I, I really love problem solving for people. So I'm team-driven and chaos tolerant. And so I don't mind if things get a little crazy. In fact, if it, gets, if it goes too long without that, I get a little uh, bored. <laughs> bored fixers are dangerous. I can just tell you that. And then the other one um, that's on the team side is stabilizers. And those folks are team-driven but order tolerant. So they actually prefer a very stable uh, social network. They prefer a stable work environment. And we see this a lot in manufacturing where they're going to, they know that they're going to go and they're going to do the same job or very similar job for the rest of their days, whether it's welding or running machinery or they're, you know, a, a machinist. And it's not to say that they're not highly skilled, incredibly gifted. They're usually it's the specialists that are stabilizers because they stay focused on the same thing their whole career. So, you know, Nobel prize winners kind of thing, probably stabilizers. Whereas me, I'll never win a Nobel prize because <laughs> like I'm, an, I'm an intellectual, but I never stay focused long enough to have that kind of research pedigree. So, um, and I'm not nice enough to get the peace prize. So I'm pretty oh, much- yes, you are. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so that's the team side. Now the other, the other half of the, the other two types is one is an independent and those are chaos loving people that are really self-driven. And that's not to say they don't value their team, but what that's, it's much different in the sense of a lot of times they have to drive an organization or their own team in a way that it's okay if the rest of their team doesn't necessarily agree right away, they'll do the work to get them on board, but they don't need consensus before they make a decision. 
they will, they honor their people, but they don't necessarily need to be in the middle of them. Um, and, and they're very, they're, these are the real disruptors. These are the guys and the ladies that just want to change for change's sake sometimes, or where they look at a gap in the market and say, let's go after that. And no one else knows really why they want to, but they figure they'll pull it off somehow. Do they tend to be the entrepreneurs? They can be. Um, the challenge with these guys and, and ladies, I, I use guys as a non-gender specific term. Um, and so the, the challenge with these folks is that they can dr they drive the stabilizers crazy. And frankly, the independents tend to be they're not really great at executing, like actually getting down and sitting down and doing the things that it's just like gutting out every day, all day long kind of work. And so they, independents really depend on the stabilizers and organizers to, to do the work. And so they really have to figure out how to interface with the order tolerant side of the house. Interesting. Fixers are usually also entrepreneurial in the sense of they tend to they tend to chase different entrepreneurial avenues like um, one of the um, councils of the c-suite network that you're familiar with is the hero club right and the hero club is all about supporting not only growing your business but supporting your people and your community and so that's very much people focused and so those uh, we did a we did culture types on the hero club and everybody was a fixer, everybody. And so they're definitely entrepreneurial, but they have a different outcome. A lot of times, um, independents will go after a spot in the market or a new product or solve a different problem, not necessarily with the benefit of all humankind in mind, just that's an opportunity to fix. So it's a slightly different perspective. But yeah, you're right. Chaos people definitely tend to be the entrepreneurial guys. The last one is organizers, and those folks are usually very logic-driven, they are very organized, or they like to create order out of chaos, I would say. And so it's not that they don't like chaos, they don't like living in chaos, but they'll take something that feels chaotic and create order around it. And it doesn't mean that you don't live in a messy house, That's a, but... Uh, <laughs> Maybe I should look around because I'm apparently an organizer. <laughs> Kind of, a little bit. We'll talk about that. But yeah, so the org it doesn't mean that you're necessarily organized. It means that you cr prefer order and you like to create order out of chaos. And so um, they're, but they're very also intellectually driven or logic driven, I would say. So when it comes to change, they want to know exactly why we're doing the change. What, why is it important? Why is what we were doing differently not working? What's the benefit those, and they're really the only people that need that level of um, sort of logical progression, but they're also self-driven. So a lot of times they don't, they like people, but they don't need people to do, get their work done. So those are all the four types. Interesting. So our time is flying by. I've got like maybe one more question for you before we um, transition into the second part of our conversation. Um, in terms of culture types, what have, are your key takeaways based on, I mean, your descriptions have been really enlightening in terms of the different culture types that you have found and which you share with the folks that you work with mm -hmm. from, a, from a consulting perspective and the leaders that you work with. Um, 
any interesting anecdotes about the intersection of some of these culture types and um, how they play out in a workplace? Yeah, probably. It's always the funnest moment when, if you know a little bit about what our culture typing system provides and just a little bit we've talked about, and then I show you sort of a scatter plot of where all of your people land. And it's like that moment where the CEO, you know, says, holy moly, like that explains so much. And often it's because, you know, people that prefer order have, well, what really happens is that when we're uncomfortable in our work environment, let's say I'm a fixer and I'm in that stabilizer job that I first had out of college and I'm just really uncomfortable and I'm not enjoying it and I don't really know why. Then we start having behaviors that don't necessarily make sense, whether they're unprofessional or you you don't you're not on time all the time or you're not that engaged or you don't put a hundred percent of yourself into it. And that comes out all kinds of sideways for a lot of people. And so what happens is is all of a sudden when you understand where your sort of native work environment looks like, you start understanding why people aren't performing, or you start understanding why you know, Andy drives Kira crazy and why they don't like to work together. And it's not, and once, and once Andy and Kira know that they're totally opposites, it's so empowering because the very next day they can change how they interact because they now know what's driving them. It's not because they're being jerk. Andy's not, not reading the reports because he's, he doesn't like Kira. It's because fixers don't read reports pretty much. <laughs> So you have clients that I'm sure don't read all the things, right? Yes. <laughs> and, we, and that's why we do executive summaries. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so if I'm a fixer and I get a 50-page packet of legal, well, plus you guys have your own jargon, right? Um, legal speak. I'm, I can actually read it because I have had a lot of practice, um, you know, reading sort of esoteric stuff during my PhD program. So I can translate it. But what I really want from Christina is, what's the three things I need to know? What's the bullet points, right? But there's some people that will would love to dig into every single line of that and understand every little thing. And they'll spend their whole, they'll spend hours digging through that report. And I can guarantee you that those are stabilizers and organizers because uh, fixers and a pen is small read. So just little things like that, that are like, and if this happened over a long time, you might think, well, Andy's just a jerk who never reads any reports and he just doesn't like me. And that's why he's doing this. And he never reads my stuff and whatever, where it absolutely has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Andy's lack of patience to read big reports. So it's just can really change the way people interact. And of course, that's our biggest challenge in the, in the workplace is how we behave together and how we can build each other up instead of, um, you know, sort of fight each other um, along the way. So I have a question for you as we are winding down our first segment. So taking what you just said, how often have you seen your clients use this framework, this assessment for purposes of assessing a potential hire um, as well as potentially making termination decisions based on the assessment? And how often have you seen it where when um, you've got a client maybe who is in a, a business where they are retaining 
outside vendors, whether it's outside counsel or other vendors, how often have you seen somebody or an organization using this assessment to assess their outside vendors? I can tell you that a couple of years ago, I have this great client that asked me to do a um, personality test. It was one that I'd never heard of, and it was a lot more nuanced and sophisticated than calling it a personality test would really indicate. And it was more about working styles than anything else. And um, it was very enlightening for me. I thought it was fascinating that a client would give this to their outside counsel. How often do you see hirings and firings and retentions of outside vendors being based on these types of assessments? We're actually working right now with a recruiting firm who has this AI platform where they take, you know, the millions of people on all of the, the online, you know, recruiting platforms and actually brings it down into a, a software that actually filters all of those millions of people into uh, the best job prospects for their clients. And the big differentiator for them is our culture type assessment. So they're working on hiring, let's say, a salesperson as an example. Well, a salesperson, if you're in an environment where it's all about personal relationships, it's all about, you know, talking and, and growing those kind of connections, that's, a, that's probably a fixer. And if you're, but if you're in a sales environment that's very formal, that's, um, let's say that's like, it's in, it's in a Salesforce type model where they track everybody and when every day they look up who they're supposed to call because it's been so long since they've talked to them and it's very prescriptive, those people are much more likely to be organizers or stabilizers. And so what we do is we type the job, the kind of job, and then we identify the type of person that would fit best in that role. Now, that's not to say that all of us can't do anything we want, because frankly, we're, if you're stubborn enough, you can pull off anything. Right. But, but it's probably not a long-term solution that, that's going to really resonate with them. And so we do that um, on a consistent basis with recruiting firms. We've actually, I don't know how many termination decisions have been made, but I know we've saved some people's jobs because they were, um, you know, the, the sense was is that some of the management team of this one organization was kind of uh, pushing back on the executive team and they were kind of fighting all the time about growing and, and changing. And it turned out that the management team was stabilizers. And once we sort of have this conversation about, listen, stabilizers are going to resist change because they want to protect their people. And it's not because they're being jerks or they have some other nefarious agenda. It's really because they don't understand what that change looks like. And, and people like us, which have people that love chaos, you not so much love chaos. I should say <laughs> like us. Oh, come on. A, a little chaos now and then is a good yeah. thing. You can handle a little chaos. Um, but for the chaos people, they don't need the schedule. They don't need the budget. They don't need the schedule. They don't need the plan. They just figure they're, they're going to figure it out as they go. Think on our feet kind of people. Well, when you work with stabilizers, stabilizers and organizers want to know the stinking plan. And it's, it's going to be crazy for a while, but it'll stop being crazy by May and then it'll get way better by September. Like they really want to understand what the process is going to be. And so once we connected those folks and had them understand what the perspectives were, 
then it was like totally changed the entire dynamic and the conversation. And so they and the stabilizers knew to ask questions and what questions would help them understand and give them some ease around the transition while the you know, while the executive team understood that they actually needed to provide a little more detail than they probably normally would have. So we've done a lot of work with folks to actually try to retain and, and fix um, internal challenges like that. That's super cool. Yeah, it's really fun. It's, uh, it's amazing just because no one likes going to work on eggshells. Nobody likes it. And so when you give them a very simple process that will solve that problem they everyone thinks change takes a darn long it doesn't it's literally could happen overnight and because when you go from eggshell walking and no one really knows how to fix it to here's a very simple reason it's happening it's no one's fault no one's being a jerk we're all in this together and here's a very simple way to to connect in a new way it's uh, it fixes immediately well, can you believe that we are now out of time for the first segment of our discussion? It's flown by, hasn't it? Well, yeah, sorry. I get super, I'm kind of excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're talking about it. So before we wind down the first segment, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners and where can they find you? Well, my all of my staff are very active on LinkedIn. So I'm my handle on LinkedIn is Dr. Rachel M. K. Headley. So you can find me there or another easy place is ixleadership.com and that has links all to all of our stuff. Well, I'm really looking forward to the second part of our conversation. Great, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.